Wednesday, Yom Dalid, Dalit Sivan, and this is KMTT, and this is Ezra Bek. Today's the second day of Shloshet Shemei Hakbalah. Shloshet Shemei Hakbalah, and we'll be soon getting into Shavuot. Today's Shiur, I'll be giving the Shiur, the weekly Shiur, on Brachot, Halacha, Ve'agada. I'll be back at the end of the Shiur. I'll return with the daily Halacha Yomit. Last week, in this Shiur, the second Mama we talked about was that on Davav Amid Alif, Tanya Abba Binyamin Omer, Ein Tefila Shal Adam Nishmat Ela Bebeit HaKneset. Abba Binyamin recommended davening in Beit HaKneset. I attempted to explain that Ma'amar of Abba Binyamin. Notice the language, he says, it's rather extreme. You, tefillah is not heard outside of a Beit HaKneset. A little bit later in the Gemara, on Zayin Amud Bet, we have the following story. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak Rab Nachman, Mai Taimah Lo'atimah Levei Knishta, Litzluye. Rabbi Yitzchak said to Rab Nachman, why did you come to Shul to Daven? He said, I couldn't. doesn't say why he couldn't. Vashi says, I was too weak, I was too tired. I think Vashi is trying to tell us, not that I couldn't because I couldn't, it was impossible, which would have no halachic interest, although it would be fine for the story, but it wouldn't tell us any halachic uh, information. So Rashi explains, Lo saying, I was too tight to come. Amalei, asara So why don't you call, or I'll arrange it, you can get ten people to come. You're a famous Rav, Rav Nachman was Dayan, one of the important Rabbanim. You can get ten people to come to your house and I'll dive in by you. Amalei, Tricha li milta. Tricha li milta means it's too much trouble for me. It says Li. There's another Girsa, Tricha Lehu Milta. I don't wish to trouble them. It's too much trouble for them. But we, in Algama it says Tricha Li Milta. It's too much trouble for me. So we asked him, He says, Why don't you tell the, the Gabai, Shliach Tzibur, that when the Tzibur is davening, he should come and tell you that they're davening now. In other words, Rabbi Yitzhak was suggesting to Rav Nachman that if you can't come to Shul, and you can't make a minion in your house, you should still daven, if possible, at the exact same time when the Tzibur is davening. How can you do this? The only way to do this is by, uh, is by having someone tell you when the Tzibur is davening. So why didn't you have the Shleach Tzibu tell you. Amar lei, mai kuihai. This, a very surprise of Nachman. What's the point? I mean, why is it? What, what, what's what's going on here? Why, why do you suggest that? Amar lei, amar Rav Yochanan, Mishum Rav Shimon Bar Yochai. Mai dichtiv, ani tefilati l'cha Hashem eit ratzon. The Pasuk says, ani tefilati l'cha Hashem eit ratzon. I will daven to you. I will pray to you, God. At a time of ratzon of acceptance, eimatai eight ratzon. When is the eight ratzon? As of Shimon Yochai answered, b'sha'ah shehatzibur mitpalelim. The eight ratzon is when 
the tzibur is davening. Based on this story, the Paskim learned three halachas. One is that it's a good thing to daven in shul. Two, it's a good thing to daven in a minion, even if it's not in a shul. Three, it's a good thing to daven even be a chidut, and even in your home and not in shul, but at the same time as when the tzibur is davening in shul. We also learn from this story something which is somewhat more controversial. How does one get out? When is one exempt? Or what are the limits to the obligations we just described? Rav Yitzhak said to Nachman, why didn't you come to Shul? He said, I was too tired. Apparently that's a good answer. The question is really why. Did, did Rav Nachman also not, not put on tefillin because he was too tired? Did he not hear shofar because he was too tired? Did he not take a lulav or eat matzah because he was too tired? Apparently, the davening in shul is not an obligation. It's not a, a din. You have to daven in shul. Because then Rav Nachum would not have been too tired. It's a very positive suggestion. No place in the Gemara, in fact, do we find where it says, Chayav Adam Vitpalel Bebet On the contrary, the mama we saw last week was, and it's, it's very powerful, in its recommendation, but nonetheless only recommendation, ain't filatov shel adam nishmat ella bebeit It doesn't mean you have to dive it in shul, it just says if you don't, your tefillah will not be heard. So, on one hand, you can say, that's a very, very strong formulation, it's not a mild recommendation. It says, you really should dive it in shul, because otherwise, who knows? You have no guarantee that a kashpochu is listening to your tefillah. On the other hand, it's still only recommendation. It's up to you. If you want to take the chance, if you're too tired, you can't do it. So Rav Nachman thought that he didn't have to and therefore he didn't come. The same thing is true for the next uh, suggestion. He said, Daven in a minion. You can't leave your house because you're too old and tired. But people will come to you. They're willing to come. He said, too much trouble. So again, I don't know the exact details why it was too much trouble. What, what really was Rav Nachman's consideration but still, the point is that Rav Nachman was saying that whatever the benefit or the suggestion or the recommendation of Dabin in a minion, it's not absolute. And if it's too much trouble, if you have a, a, a good reason, then you can forget about it. You're still davening. The obligation to daven exists. To daven, you can daven be a chidot, and you can daven in your house. And for him, he made this this consideration. He weighed the different options and chose to daven, chose to daven in home. There is an interesting uh, dispute among the achronim concerning the relative value of two of the suggestions that are made here, which are not necessarily hierarchical. If a person can daven in shul without a minion, or you can daven outside of a shul in a minion. You have a choice of either davening in the building, a bit Knesset, at a time when there's no minion there, or there'll be a minion in your house, or your work, or some other place. So which is better? Which is preferable? Obviously, to daven in shul with a minion is better than to daven outside of a shul, even with a minion. That's clearly uh, indicated in the story itself. We firstly told them, why don't you come to shul? And secondly, why don't you make a minion in your house? And also, you don't lose anything. You have a, you have a minion, and you have 
Beit Knesset, which we explained last week, is a place where it's appropriate to daven. But suppose you have a Beit Knesset without a minion or a minion without a Beit Knesset, which is preferable. This is the Achonim debate. Uh, I would assume that, that our natural instincts think that a minion is itself preferable. It's quite common that people arrange for minyanim in one place or another and don't bother going to shul if they can do that. If you have uh, ten people over your house, for Shalashudas. So when you finish, you daven ma'ariv. And you don't go to shul. Uh, many posts can hold that daven in a Beit Knesset, even without a minion, obviously with a minion, but even without a minion, could be preferable to davening with a minion outside of Beit Knesset. Uh, we'll come back to this machloket a little bit later, but I mentioned now just merely to illustrate the illustrate the point. You have individual and distinct uh, levels and suggestions here. One speaks about the the preference, the benefit of davening geographically, bib Beit Knesset, because. The Gemara and Daf Hey ain't tefilatosh shaladam nishmat elevate haknesset, and a different and independent and distinct point of davening in a minyan. A person should daven with a minyan lichanfi lemar asara velitzli. Get ten people together in order to daven. And a third point, which is, I think, the most interesting chidush novela that's present here, something which many people don't know. There is a preference, a benefit, a suggestion to daven at the same time when the tzibur, when the Beit Knesset is davening, even though you're not present there. It sounds like somehow you can hitch your tefillah onto their tefillah, or you, you synchronize your tefillah with tefillat tzibur, and that's a good thing, and that's called v'anit tefillati lecha Hashem a'it ratzon. That is called Eit Ratzon. The time when other people are davening is an Eit Ratzon for you as well. How can we understand these halachot? The three different ma'amarim, or the three different questions that Rav Sheshit asked of Nachman, all indicate the importance of Tzibur in relationship to Tefillah. We don't find about other mitzvot that there's a special significance to doing them in public. Now, th- th- there's a general, a general advantage, we might say, or a, a aspect of doing anything with tzibur because berov am hadrat melech. It's more kavod to God. It's, it, it's a finer action in general to do everything with tzibur. But we don't find individual mitzvot that have two levels. You do them one b'chidut, you do them one b'tzibur. There's one exception, which is irrelevant to what we're talking about, and that's kiddush Hashem and chilul Hashem, which are uh, mitzvot, mitzvah and aveira, where the public aspect of it is directly connected to the aveira. To desecrate God's name in public is different than to desecrate God's name in private. Similarly to the Kadesh, to sanctify God's name in public, and to publicize God's name and God's greatness and our devotion to Him has a significance because you're doing it in public. But in individual mitzvot, to, to shake a lulav in public or in private, to hear the shofar in public or in private, the, 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 the idea of tzibur does not really apply there. To eat matzah in a huge seder as opposed to eating it at home. There is no difference in the mitzvah of eating matzah. Tefillah is extremely sensitive to the idea of tzibur. Uh, we're most familiar with this because of the things that one can say and add. You can only say Kedusha. 
if you're Betzibu. Chazarat Hashatz, Baruchu, Kaddish. But the Mamarim that we read this week and last aren't talking about Tvarim Shebikdusha. Things which are added to the Tefillah because they're in Sibur. They're talking about the Tefillah itself. Ein Tefillatau Shel Adam Nishma'at Ela Bebeit HaKneset. The experience of Tefillah is a totally different uh, experience, totally different activity when it's done Bebeit HaKneset or Bitzibur and even when at the time of of the Tzibur davening. L'cha Hashem Tfilati Eit Ratzon Last week I mentioned the Ramban who speaks of public Tfilah as a fulfillment of the basic obligation of man to declare you are our creator. Ramban says that's why we daven in public and we have an out loud even as the out loud I'd like to elaborate a little bit on that point specifically in light of I think what the Ramban believes although he doesn't say it explicitly in the Ramban I quoted the Ramban in the end of Parshat Bo after all the halacha the first halacha we're examining you don't daven in public you daven in a shul which may very well be empty because as I said the poskim understand from this story or more specifically, from the Mamar of, of Abba bin Yamin, that one should daven in a Beit Knesset even without a minion. So, what 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 does the building hold for us? And I think the answer is, and this is implicit in what the Ramban is saying, is that the connection between God and man is created and supported by man's acknowledgement man's declaration, man's being the foundation of God's presence in the world. This is a very, very, very important yisod in Yadus. God created the world. And the Pasuk says, and we say this every day in Aleinu, Ein od milvado. Even after we created the world, His existence is on a different level and it's as nothing else. But nonetheless, having created the world, God is not present in the world except as man makes him present. And how does man make God present in the world? Literally, literally, by, by, by speaking about him, by, by making a place in our mouths, in our hearts, in our souls, for God to be. Pasuk says about Avraham Avinu, in the very, very beginning of Jewish history, the first thing he did when he came to Eretz Yisrael, he built a Mizbeach, he built an altar, doesn't say he sacrificed on the altar. He built a altar. And he called there, called out there, the name of God. The purpose of the altar was not to sacrifice, not to do a particular mitzvah, but to use it as a base for calling out the name of God. What does it mean he called out the name of God? Rashi brings two perushim. The Midrash has two perushim. It doesn't mean that he, he called out God's name. He taught other people to call out God's name. So what, what's, what's the difference? What's the point? The point is that when God's name is found in people's mouths, then God is found in the world. We very often use the expression Shem Hashem as a synonymous equivalent for Hashem. Baruch Shem Kvod Malchuto. Nekadeshet Shimcha Ba'olam. 
to sanctify God's name or to bless God's name is to bless God. What does it mean, the name of God? God exists. This is metaphysics. This is theology. It's sort of beyond me and beyond most of us. But, but God exists in an absolute, transcendent manner that has nothing to do with what we're doing. The name of God, similar to the expression, Kvod Hashem or Kvod Malchuto, the glory of God, these are relative terms. The name of God is what we call Him. If there was no one to call out in God's name, I don't know if God would have a name, at least not, not, not you know, practically speaking. Where is God's name found? God is found in the heaven. Where is God's name found? It's found in people's mouths. When we say Kedushah, Nikadeshet Shimcha Ba'olam, we will sanctify your name in the world by saying that we will do it, by saying Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. God's name is in the world, meaning God is in the world when when the activity of acknowledging God's relationship to the world takes place. That I think is what the Ramban is really saying, the Ramban I quoted last week, that what does God want from the world? What does God want from man? He wants that they should acknowledge that He is their creator. Why? Because God created the world so that His glory should be in the world. And how is God's glory in the world? Not because God comes and imposes it. He comes and does great miracles and, and forces everyone to see that He's there. God is found in the world when human beings accept and declare the relationship to Him. By declaring the relationship, the relationship is not only theoretically true, but it in fact is actual. When we say God is our Creator, then God lives, so to speak, in that statement. And that, I think, is the basis for the idea that an empty Beit Knesset is a place that's worthy of tefillah. Because what is an empty Beit Knesset? We take, we, 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 we take symbolism seriously. In other words, symbolism isn't only symbolism. It's really true. The Beit Knesset is a building that was built for that purpose, so that people should get together there, a lot of people, let's see, Boer, and they should declare God's glory. They should pray to Him, they should mention His name, they should praise Him. Even when it's empty... But the purpose of the building is inherent in the building. The building is a monument, so to speak, literally a monument, to that purpose. On the one hand, if nobody would daven, God's name would be absent. When people daven, God's name is present. But if, there's a, if, if at this particular second nobody is davening, everyone's busy. It's not sha'at tefillah. They daven in the morning, people, everyone daven batik and they went to work. You got up late. No one actually is davening now. But this building remains a monument to why does the building exist? It exists so that in a few more minutes, a few minutes ago, a few hours later, people should come and reiterate that all the worlds declare God's glory. Even when the building is empty, so to speak, the building is still declaring that statement. So if we think that God's presence in the world is dependent on this, this activity of declaring God's glory in the world, then even when no one's davening, God's presence in the world is based on the existence of that Beit Knesset. And that's the basis, I think, for the idea, which we were taught when we were children, but philosophically becomes very difficult, that God lives in a Beit Knesset. God lives in the Beit HaMikdash. And the Beit Knesset is a Mikdash Ma'at. So there's Shechina, there's God, divine presence in a Beit Knesset. And, and sophisticated people really wonder, how could that be? God isn't in a place. Shlomo HaMelech, when he built the Beit HaMikdash, asked that question. 
The heavens and the heavens and the heavens cannot hold you. So how can this house that I have built be your house, be your residence, be your domicile? I think the explanation is that metaphysically, God's presence in the world is found, not, not, not geographically so much, is found in the acceptance and declaration and acknowledgement of human beings, of Amisa. A world that does not recognize God, God cannot be there. The Beit Knesset, the building, the stones that have been put up for a purpose and fulfill that purpose on a regular basis, those stones, therefore, by declaring the acknowledgement of God of the people who were here a few minutes before and will come back tomorrow, the stones continue to declare that acknowledgement and therefore they're the basis for the connection for the metaphysical reality of God's presence in the world and not only transcending beyond the world, not just Hashamayim Ushme Hashamayim, but yes, Afki Habayitaze, this house as well. Now, what the Amarim in Masechet Brachot are saying is that when you come to Davin, you should connect to that experience. Obviously, it's true. Abba Ben Yaman said, Tefillah is not heard. What does it mean he's not heard? God hears. God hears you when you think. He knows everything. The word nishmat means means accepted, taken taken in. And here, what the Gemara, Abba Minyamin, and the others are saying is that you can speak to God by sending Him a letter. The letter will get there. The letter will get there. You can send God an email. It works. But tefillah is an experience of not communicating with God, but it should be an experience of being close to God. Of whispering in God's ear. That's what it means, ain't tefillah nishmat ella bebeit The world is, is alien to some extent to the presence of God. It's a creation. It's secular. God is found in the places where people acknowledge Him in the existence, in the moment of his acknowledgement. When you want to daven, when you want to speak to God, you can speak to God by throwing your words out into the space and knowing that God will pick them up. Or you can go to those points which we recognize as being the connecting points, as being the entry points to the divine presence within the world and speak there. Since God's presence rests on the world because of the Beit HaKneset, it's so to speak, I can't say exactly what this means, but it's concentrated in that place. And when you dive in there, you're in God's presence. When you dive in at home, God hears, but you're not in God's presence. And the entire experience of Tefillah is a different experience if you're merely writing Him letters or if you're in personal communication, communion, dveikut, cleaving unto God, while you while you speak, so that's why it's an advantage. It's 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 inherent in tefillah itself, not an extraneous advantage. Tefillah makes sense, and the extreme statement ain't tefillah tol nishmat. Your tefillah is not heard at all. Meaning, your tefillah is heard in a different way. The tefillah, as it should be, can exist only when it's combined and connected to the presence of God in the world. Davening in a minion even outside of a Beit HaKnesset, 
has a different, similar advantage. Ten Jews represents the Eida, represents the Jewish community. God has a different relationship with community than with individuals. There are a lot of reasons, I think, why Tfilah B'Tzibur is preferable to Tfilah B'Yachid. I'm only going to mention the one today which is directly relevant to our topic. Because ten people who are davening, Shekhinah B'Neim. Why is that? Why is that? Well, we have the Rabban's point that the acknowledgement of God is different when it's made B'Tzibur and B'Yachid for very, very simple reason. God's, if you view it as God's desire to be present in the world, then the world has to accept Him. So, we never have the world accepting Him, unfortunately, until Biata Mashiach, when Until then, there's problems in the world, there's division. But an individual, it's really sorrowful. So that individual has a connection to God, he's trying to bring God into the world like Avraham Avinu did. But there is no, there's no world, or mini-world, that's accepting God. Ten people, that's already a whole world, because there's a whole tzibur, and they can claim to speak in the name of of the general situation. They're, they're, they're an entire tzibur, and therefore the world, so to speak, their world, the small world, this mini world, is accepting God. That's, in truth, the basis for God's presence in, in the world. When you dive in together with them, so you're diving in God's presence, because any ten Jews can be the basis for God's presence in the world at the time when they are Acknowledging God's presence in the world, God's creation of the world, and their relationship to to God. The very next Ma'amar and Davav, after the one of Abba Binyamin, Ain't Filash Adam Nishmad Knesset, is a very similar statement of Rabin Barav Ada Amar Abitzak, Minayin Shakadosh Baruchu Matsui Bebeit Knesset. How do you know that God is found in the Beit Knesset? And any ten people who daven, apparently even none of the Beit HaKnesset, that the Shechina is with them as well, God stands in the community of God. And Eida, as Rashi points out, means ten people, and Eida, a community, is ten, is ten people. So God stands in the Eidah. What about the last halacha? The last halacha, I think, is the most disturbing. What does it mean to daven at the same time as the rest of the community is davening? This sounds almost like magic. Somehow, I, I imagine in my own head, I don't think this is so strange. I imagine in my own head, you see Beit HaKnesset, the Tfilot are going up to the Beit HaKnesset, you see them in the sky, they're, they're like going up to heaven, and you quickly run, you, uh, you, you hitch a ride, you put your Tfilah with them. That's very nice. I mean, it, it made sense to me when I was when I was six. But, but what does it mean? But I think the answer is simple. It's natural to us, relatively natural to us, to understand place. Time is more difficult, but time and place are parallel in Judaism. There is kedushat hamakom, and there is kedushat hazman. If we say that certain places are dedicated, they in their very existence they include the dedication to the glory of God's name, like a Beit HaKnesset. So times have that as well. There are times which have Kedusha, and times which don't have Kedusha. For a time to have Kedusha, it has to be dedicated to something. So here, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, 
that if at this moment a tzibur is davening, so at this moment God's presence in the world is is established. It has a basis. And God dwells in the world because tzibur, as I said, a mini world, people who represent an entire community are calling out in His name. Even though you are not geographically there, but this is really the crucial and amazing point, God's presence isn't really in one place or another. The world is filled with the glory of God. The basis, when we talk about a place being the place of God, or a time being the time of God, we mean that's, what's, that's what creates the basis for God's presence. But once God is present, He's present in everything. If a tzibur is davening, then God is in the world. If God is in the world, then you can daven at home too. It's clear from the Gemara that there's a, there's a, 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 a degree involved. It's better to actually be there. It's better to be in the Bikhness. It's better to be with ten people. But the basic principle that says you should daven bifnei shechina in the presence of God and not by sending Him messages, this basic principle can be accomplished in one of these three ways. Because there are three different connections being made here. The Beit Knesset testifies to God's continued presence. The ten people who are davening testify to God's presence. And the time that these ten people are davening is a time that testifies to God's presence. And therefore, either by coordinating the time or by coordinating the place or by being in the physical, geographic, architectural place, one is able to experience not merely speaking towards God, but being in communion with God. And now for today's Halacha Yomet, we're still in Berkat Kohanim, in many, many Sidurim, in Berkat Kohanim, after every single word of the Bacha, every word from the Pasuk, which the Kohen is saying, there's a Pasuk, a whole Pasuk, for the Kahal to say. This is based on a Gemara, in the Sechet Sota, where there's a Machloket in the Gemara, whether or not people say Pasukim, at the time that the Kohanim are saying the Bacha. There were two opinions in the Gemara. Nearly all Bishonim, including the two in the Shulchan Aruch and the Rambam, Paskin that one does not say Psukim, not merely that one doesn't have to say Psukim, but that it's improper to say Psukim. The reason given in the Gemara for this opinion is, if someone's giving you a Bacha, you should be paying attention and not saying Psukim. That's the near universal Tzak. Nonetheless, in the Sidurim, the Pesukim are found. And this derives from Machzorim of uh, Sidurim from the Middle Ages. It's found in the Machzorvitri and others. It was the Minog. The Minog and the Kilot was to say. The Pesukim were concerned about this. So sometimes the Maganavam suggested that perhaps you should say the Pesukim while the Chazin is saying Vrechacha and not when the Konim is saying Vrechacha. When you're being blessed by the Kohen, you should be quiet. But when the Chazan is calling out Yivarecha, you can say the Psukim then. Practically speaking, that's almost impossible. There may not be enough time. And it's very difficult and it's also disturbing. But that was, that was he, the Magadavam understands there's a problem here and he's trying to find a way to reconcile the Minhag 
with the halacha as paskin by most Rishonim. There are other sorts of suggestions. Maybe sometimes the Kohanim sing a lot. Right? They sing tunes. You could like slip it in then. This comes to later on. There's The Gemara says that someone who had a bad dream should say, especially Rebono Shalom, during Bukat Kohanim, and the Postcom suggests that it should be done while the Kohanim are Mizamrim, when they're singing. Practically speaking, it's impossible to say the Psukim at a time when the Kohanim are not actually saying the Bukha. And therefore, the Postcom really almost all agree that it's better not to do it. Perhaps if you do it, it's okay. We can find a way around it. But lachatchila, you shouldn't do it. I think in the last couple of years, uh, the minig is sort of dying out, and even new sudurim don't even have it. Uh, that's the almost the new universal psak, chashulcha and the mishnah that the kahal should be quiet and not answer the psukim that are found in the machzorim during birkat kohanim. The ribun oshal olam for a bad dream, or the one that's said at the end, a general one for Panasa, can be said only assuming that the Kohanim, in fact, do sing a tune long enough for you to say the Ban Shalom, and you should finish it in time to listen quietly to the Shalom, to the word that's being said by the Kohanim. If you haven't finished, then you be quiet. And you finish afterwards. You can, you can always stretch it out. Uh, but the birkat kohanim itself should be heard with reverence and in silence. And that's it for today. You've been listening to the shir on brachot halacha v'vagada, as well as the halacha yomit. We'll be back tomorrow, Thursday, erev shavuot with a program for Erev Shavuot. Uh, this year, in Eretz Israel, this coming Shabbat, we read Pashat Nasser. In Chutz Laaretz, it will be the second day Yantif, and we will not read Pashat Nasser. So that for the next couple of weeks, there will be a, a uncoordination between the Pasha read in Eretz Israel. We're reading Nasser this week and Balotcha next week, and in Chutz Laaretz, we're reading Nasser next week. So, the Shia on Pashat Shavua will follow the Chutz schedule this time. Tomorrow we'll have a, like an Erev Shabbat, it'll be an Erev Yom Tov program for Erev Shavuot. And next week, there'll be Pashat Shavua for Pashat Nasa. And until then, this is Ezra Bik wishing you Kol Tov. You've been listening to KMTT, Ki Mitzion Tetzei Torah, the daily Torah podcast from Yeshivat HaRetzion. Call to Vibukata Torah Mitzion. Umiyat Sion. And we'll be back tomorrow.